Hey there, I'm Ruby Jones, the host of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every month on the show, we feature the best long-form journalism in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, something from the archive. Clem Bastow writing for the Saturday paper about borrowing teen magazines from the library. As a kid, Clem couldn't afford the monthly price of Girlfriend magazine or Seventeen or my personal favourite, Dolly. So the library became her gateway to fashion trends, makeup advice and who the hottest home and away star was. As Clem got older and earned her own money, her relationship to libraries evolved. In her piece, Clem writes about class and shame, teen magazines and hope, and the always alluring sealed section. After a brief conversation with me about her piece, Clem Bastow will read Library Learning with Dolly. To hear more Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Clem, your piece, which I love, it's about how you used to go to your local library and borrow magazines, specifically magazines for teenage girls. So we're talking about Dolly and Girlfriend. And that's something that I also used to do. Ah! Uh, (laughs) And I can remember what it felt like to open them for the first time, to go through the headlines, to, you know, find the juiciest articles. And, I mean, we all know that the sealed section was the first place to go, right? (laughs) It was. (laughs) I mean, it was always the big thing on the cover, you know, what was in the sealed section. Uh, But then, yeah, as this piece describes, this this funny thing started to happen where no one wanted to spoil the, the sealed section for anybody else, so they just stayed closed forever. And so, yeah, there was a lot of stuff I guess I didn't learn from Dolly Magazine. (laughs) I am amazed at your restraint. Um, (laughs) And when I think back to what was actually in those sealed sections, I mean, it was surprisingly educational. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in retrospect, Dolly, maybe I think more so than some of the, you know, in inverted commas, grown-up girls' magazines, did some really incredible education, particularly sexual health, but all sorts of stuff. And that was true from the get-go. Like, I've got dollies from 1978, 79, and it's amazing how, how frank they are. And I think that we've, we've sort of, we kind of lost something when, when all of these magazines ceased to exist because it was a way for you to find out things that maybe your school didn't teach or, you know, you didn't feel comfortable asking your parents about or you didn't have big siblings. And yeah, I mean, I guess now you just go online, you can find it anywhere, but there was something special about that relationship with these magazines. Yeah, definitely. It's sad to think that the the Dolly era is over, but I think, I think it is well and truly gone. (laughs) Um, Is there anything that you remember now about those sealed sections, any particular ones? Well, not the ones from the library, but when I did buy my own dollies, yeah, it was typically stuff around things that we didn't get taught at school. So, I mean, I went to a pretty switched on state school, but, you know, there were sort of nuances of particularly things like menstrual health, consent, you know, sex education beyond wear a condom, like that I think were really useful and would have been great to have been taught at school. But thank God Dolly and Girlfriend were there. And I saw some of the American ones as well, like Seventeen and Jane, like they were 
they sort of formed the um, the education that we missed out on when we were putting condoms on bananas. Yeah, and it felt like quite a safe space to learn all of that stuff, didn't it? Like you sort of knew where you stood and you could take your time with it and yeah. absorb it and then pass it on to your friends so totally. they could too. Totally. I mean, I remember we went away on a holiday and there was uh, we stayed in an old chalet up in the ski resort and there was one of those classic bookshelves full of old whatever people had left there and there was a copy of Every Woman, which I read, but it just felt so kind of scientific and it was written by a man and there was something about Dolly and Girlfriend which felt a bit more like you were talking to a peer and I'm sure a lot of work went into finessing that voice because, you know, these were things written by lots of different writers. Um, But that sense of it being a trusted friend I think was really special. Mm, Definitely. Well, thank you for taking me and our listeners back to that moment. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to hearing your piece. Excited to read it. Library Learning with Dolly. There are certain things, moments, feelings, dilemmas, that are so hyper-specific to the experience of growing up poor, they must border on incomprehensible to those whose adolescence was flush with cash. Here's one of mine. As a teen, I would borrow Dolly and Seventeen magazines from the library. That is, in itself, no doubt an alien notion to some, but hold on, I'm not there yet. I'd borrow those teen magazines and occasionally come upon the holy grail of an unopened, sealed section. These supplements of ten or so pages typically contained racy information about sex, how to put a condom on a banana, or less racy but potentially embarrassing lessons about periods or vaginas. They all look different. Whether it was sexy or educational, the sealed section presented a unique dilemma to the library card-carrying teen. Not wanting to rob the next borrower of the excitement of ripping open those closed pages, I'd leave it intact, and so would the next considerate borrower, and the next borrower, until months had passed and none of us had any idea what wonders the sex extra everything every girl's gotta know held. Imagine, I would think, having the cash to just tear open any sealed section you damn well wanted. Then, in the same breath, I would chastise myself for engaging in such unbridled capitalist thinking. We, the poor dolly borrowers, were living life right, even if it meant we never did get the answers to those sex questions we were afraid to ask. The same was true for the perfume samples held within the pages of these magazines. Those strips of scented cardboard remained unrubbed by local wrists, lending the library's periodicals the heady scent of Australis Waterberry body spray, an olfactory memory I chase to this day, like a boomer trying to remember Woodstock. When other teens would enter the library periodicals section and head for those hallowed shelves, we'd share a nod of recognition that was equal parts wait until you see the Callan Mulvey tear-out poster and ah, you too. In reality, we weren't saving much by borrowing Dolly, $3.60 a month if memory serves, but those flimsy pages were imbued with a sense of camaraderie, poured by the busy fingertips of teens already familiar with the vagaries of Centrelink's family means testing. These borrowed magazines were a site of intense emotion. Beyond the universal teen girl experience of reading them and discovering which hunks were deemed most babelicious by the Dolly editorial staff circa 1997, they were also laced with a feeling I would later come to acknowledge as shame. 
I read these magazines in the safety of either the library or my own bedroom because I imagined the experience of a months-old, barcoded and contact-wrapped dolly slipping out of my backpack would be akin to the time I wore no-name zebra-print jeans to free dress day and Liza sneered at me to go back to the zoo. I retaliated in the impotent manner of many poor people throughout history by drawing devil horns on her photo in the yearbook. Young people may lack the vocabulary to discuss class, but they are keenly aware of it. Just re-watch Howard Deutsch and John Hughes's heroic Pretty in Pink, or return to the skin-crawling relatability of Heartbreak High. By the time I owned the white baby doll t-shirt and black shoestring strap dress combo we'd all read about in Dolly, it was months after the trend had passed. I was so proud of my outfit, a Christmas gift, but knew I was hopelessly out of date just like all of my borrowed teen mags. When I got a job shelling peas in the local fruit shop at the tender age of 16 and a bit, buying my own teen magazines became a mission. Now I, too, would have towering piles of Dolly and Girlfriend magazines next to my bed. I would shop at the Real Sports Girl, not the Richmond Outlet Store on Bridge Road. Things that once upon a time I would have requested borrowed, discovered I didn't especially enjoy, and returned to the shoot, were now claims on my tax return. So committed was I to this new life of being able to afford my own books that I didn't set foot in a library for nearly a decade. Of all the places I expected my experience to be reflected back at me, the online arm of venerable humour magazine Cracked wasn't one of them. But so it was reading John Cheese's, probably not his real name, Towering Screed, the five stupidest habits you develop growing up poor. In the piece, Cheese wrote, Have you heard those stories about lottery winners who are bankrupt within a year or two, despite winning millions? That's because they can't turn that off. They can't shake the idea that the money is perishable. When, five or so years ago, I eventually did return to the library, during a downturn in the income streams I'd taken for granted, My reaction was not unlike a Hollywood movie in which a time traveller or alien giddily discovers contemporary human existence. I rushed from shelf to shelf, grabbing glossy photo books and obscure novels and guides to medieval embroidery with the enthusiasm of a supermarket sweep contestant. Somewhere, in my determination to escape the threadbare realities of a creative life, I had forgotten there was a place where you could get books for free. Talking about money and especially about being bad with it, is one of life's greatest embarrassments, though I suspect those born into wealth don't share this stance, at least if the loud phone conversations you hear around the top end of Collins Street are any indication. In the minds of many, the inability to budget, to save and to spend frugally are not just bad habits, they are character flaws. There is a flip side too. Mindful frugality, zero waste, joyful uncluttering, and other zeitgeisty downsizing trends might feel bracing to those who've never wanted for much, but when you've grown up poor or been hard up, they feel like punishments. Perhaps there is, like sliding doors, an alternative reality in which 16-year-old Clem didn't run across the road to the newsagent every Saturday morning to burn through those little yellow seed envelopes of cash earned part-time at the fruit shop, and in which that exact scenario doesn't still haunt my dreams. If there was a Dolly Sealed section about budgeting in those library magazines, well, it also stayed unopened. But understanding one's fractious relationship with money does not have to mean judging it unnecessarily. It has taken some time, 
but I've learnt to infuse the experience of, say, market shopping on the chuckout tables with the thrill of the hunt rather than the crushing sense of inevitability. It's time for the workers to reclaim lifestyle tips such as bring your own lunch from the Gwyneths and Peets of the world. We invented hashtag minimalism. Maybe it's the slow approach of middle age, but I now look back on those teen magazine borrowing days and no longer feel shame. Instead, I've reconnected with the very thing that makes those glossy rags such intoxicating reading. Hope. A cynic might call what teen magazines peddle something different. But there's a hopefulness and optimism in teen magazines that is all about imagining how glamorous, happy and successful your future will be. On a recent day out with my mum, we stopped in at a small library so she could source a book she needed for research that our larger local branch didn't have. While she talked to the librarian, I drifted around the shelves, eventually ending up in the reading area. Evidently, the more things change, the more libraries stay the same. The same warm light filtered through dusty air, the same sense of bookish camaraderie, the same incomprehensible photocopier instructions laminated and stuck to a wall. Ringing the comfy armchairs were the periodicals, among which Girlfriend magazine was available to borrow. I could have drifted through a temporal rift and emerged in 1997. It's true, there's an added significance to this scene when you consider the state of print media. Girlfriend is one of the last teen magazines standing after Dolly folded in December 2016. Seventeen shifted to six issues a year and Teen Vogue has gone digital. But all I could think of, standing in that reading room, looking at Selena Gomez staring beatifically from the cover, was of the local teens saving their pocket money by borrowing teen magazines from the library. I imagined them sitting in the daggy armchairs with girlfriend and wondering how, as I did, they might replicate this season's hot Year 11 formal looks with an op shop visit and some spotlight haberdashery, and how that creativity born from necessity will come to colour and enrich their life, even if they do manage to sleep through economics class. And, when I could be sure nobody was looking, I placed a hand on girlfriend, as though it was a holy text, and I felt its hope, its promise, and knew that some sealed sections would forever remain closed.